0: competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy
1: and expert coach nick nanavati Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul Murphy. I'm joined by Nick Maravati.
2: Hello, hello, everyone. Good to be back as always.
1: And we have a very special guest, Art of War coach, Mr. Matt Morisoli.
2: Good morning, guys. How's, uh, How's everyone doing? Good, good. It's good afternoon over here, Matt, but I guess in the land down under, you are just waking up bright and early. Thank you for making the time for us.
1: Uh, not a problem. I can't get away with doing one of these without making a subtle time zone joke. I, uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I just love the international you know, bit of Warhammer 40,000 where it is all over the place and the art
2: of war never sleeps. That's true. That's true um so matt what, what what event were you at how did you do? what is to give us some context here uh
0: yeah so uh i played at the the radicalism event which is the first time this one's actually run uh by a couple of guys down in Ballarat, which is a couple of hours out of uh out of melbourne um you know a little, little road trip with a few other friends for the for the weekend um 75 i think it ended up players uh really really cool little weekend event and um i took a uh, Drakari and Harlequins, Drakari, Eldari, whatever you sort of want to call it, but um, yeah, it was a really, really good, uh, good weekend. I went four and one. I finished fifth. I played probably the, I, I reckon one of the best games I've had of uh, of ninth then in round four when I lost to my good friend Stuart Trainer by literally one point. Uh, it was eighty eight to eighty nine. It was. I won't, I won't spoil too
1: much just yet, but uh, it was it was a fantastic weekend. I had a great time. Wow. That's- oh, yeah, that's a nail-biter. Also, before we get too deep into it, I want to mention this is part one of a two-part conversation. Uh, if you want to hear part two after we're done with this one, uh, kind of subscribe on the website, the YouTube, all, all kind of different ways uh, to get to be a part of that. And this episode, we're going to go over the list. Uh, going to talk about maybe some some like go-to stratagems, some things you know, that they got you through the wins that you got, and uh, you know maybe we could talk a little bit about what you would have done differently in that game. In part two, you don't want to miss it. Absolutely,
2: Matt, I'm so glad you had an awesome time. One of the things I uh, <laughs> we want to do is actually get you on an episode of a Broken, where we unpack a loss in super detail. So your 88 versus 89 point game, uh, which is apparently the best game in ninth edition you had, like I definitely I want to know more about it. But maybe we'll give it an entire episode about it.
0: Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where I, I think everyone who's had a a really good loss to a really good player, you know, in in, in what feels like a really close, really sort of up and down game. Even if you lose, you sort of come away from that one feeling like yeah, feeling really good about yourself. Um, and I don't think I like did anything wrong. And like you know, see, so you can sort of you could spend a long time unpacking it, but it's it's a really good feeling when um you know you get to play a game like that, even if you are not you know you don't come out with the win.
2: Yeah, no, th- those games are something to cherish. They're definitely my favorite. I've only had a hand for you when you're neck and neck against someone who's more or less your equal, and it's just like back and forth and back and forth and truly uncertain. That's such a nail biter game. And even when you lose, like you said, like you really feel good when you leave it because it's like you just played your heart out and gave it your best
0: yeah uh 100 i think um you know look 80 percent of 40k games are sort of decided by list or player disparity and normally there's just a couple of those you know really good ones at the end of an event but when you get down to uh when you get down to a game like that um it sort of makes the whole thing worthwhile i guess in some ways they're just they're really exciting games it's fantastic
1: yeah Definitely. Do you want to tell us what you
0: took? Yeah. So I took, um, I, I don't know if this goes into ITC as Dracari or Harlequins or Eldario. I'm pretty sure it goes in as Dracari with a Harlequin patrol, right? But, uh, anyway, it's a, it's a real space raid with, uh, Hearts, uh, Cult of Strife, uh, and, uh, Artist of Flesh. I got a quarter of the Archon, um, with, uh, four Ogles, three Slits, and a Medusa. It makes it 140 points for, um, but to the last, so it's not quite the optimal Court loadout, but, uh, I wanted to the last so that's a a pretty cool way to do it in there there's an archon with uh fight last uh, and the animus vitae a homunculus with uh master regenist uh and um the upgrade alchemical maestro so he gets back up on a two up um also wanted to have homoxides there so that's sort of why i was locked into the upgraded homunculus uh there's just the go-to succubus with competitive edge and the triptych whip um which just kills everything which is fantastic there is um, probably my favorite unit in the army, which is 10 homoxides with three liquefier guns and a scissor hand. Um, the scissor hand is an awful weapon, uh, but it makes them 140 points as well. So I don't know why anyone would ever pay 10 points for a scissor hand when an erasive whip is five, but apparently it makes the unit to the last. So again, um, that's my, my favorite little thing in the army. Uh, I stole that one from from Chris Wright. So thank you very much to, to Chris for school, uh, teaching me that little Little trick there. There's uh, five Cab Warriors, five Witches uh, to fill out the, um, the real space raid requirements. And there's another squad of uh, five Racks with an Um Then we've got three squads of four Grotesques, uh, two squads of five Incubi, uh, a Raider with a Disintegrator, a Venom with Grizzly Trophies, and then a Light Harley Patrol with a shadow seer with uh, Mirror Mines and shard light, uh, Shards of Light, sorry. Um, five Troop and three Void Weavers. And that's kind of the whole thing.
2: Wow, so it's pretty much like your, your Jukari good stuff list. By that, I mean like you have your covens that are pretty good, spammed out test with minus one damage. Even though it doesn't work for strength eight anymore, uh, it's still a great way to just put good wounds on the table. And you got Raider full of Incubi, Venom full of Incubi, Slytherner, Ghoul, Hemox. It's just good stuff, Jukari. Got your characters. And then you add in three Void Weavers and a Shadow Seer to, to hang out with them. So it's kind of like you're taking good stuff Eldari and made a list out of it.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I, I was playing this before the, the balance starter slate, and I, it did get a little bit worse. The, the void wave was costing a bunch more. Uh, I really felt that over the weekend.
2: Yeah. I was definitely going to ask how you liked it at 390 for that squad.
0: Yeah, it's not as good as I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really liked it at 270. It added a lot to the list at 270. I think, um, I think at 390, I wouldn't play it again. Uh, the reality was Does I you had run a
2: 2 for 260. I
0: I actually think I would run bikes. I think I'd run bikes in a ravager um wow. to be honest. I, okay. I'd run the the so cannons, bikes. bikes. Yeah. No 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 the um the Skyweavers, the Harlequin okay, bikes. Okay, Skyweavers. Okay. Interesting. Okay, okay. I I, I feel like the Shuriken cannons are more important than the actual prisms are sometimes. Just having uh, some volume shooting in Drakari is very hard to get. Uh, and the bikes can be protected with um Uh, but I can't remember what it's called, the Harlequin Power, to uh, make a unit untargetable if it's not the closest unit, so you could save some CP on Fire and Fade. Um,
2: True, yeah.
0: Yeah, Uh, look, uh, again, I I haven't played it yet. I'm not sure how good it is, but I felt like the volume fire was often what I was missing with this sort of, you know, thick drakari list getting in the middle and just having trading combat pieces, that having a shooting unit that can kill five guys at an objective is nice.
2: Okay. I love where this is going and I definitely want to discuss moving forward with the list. But first, why don't we come to grips with how this list works in the first place? Like putting all these pieces together on the table. How did you, what was the strategy, the premise of the list?
0: Yeah, sure. So, so pretty much uh, the way that it works is depending on what secondaries you take. Like I I built the army to take a lot of good secondaries. Uh, It does, um, psychic secondaries because it has a shadow seer. Uh, It does herd the prey. It does strangle. Uh, It does to the last very well. Um, uh, does Rod. So basically, if I picked Rod, I put some, a couple of the five-man units in outflank. You get up to three of them in outflank for one CP, which is pretty cool. Uh, realistically, the Void Weavers find the best piece of cover, and they fire and fade out of it for the majority of the game or until you know they're kind of safe to fly around the board and, and shoot things and not really be worried too much about return fire. Uh, and the rest of the army man j- just tries to get as close to the center of the board as possible and charge things from out of line of sight, and kind of fight over the middle, and basically use the grotesques and the incubator trade. Uh, so you know the, the the changes to armor of contempt have kind of made the grotesques a little bit worse. Into uh, a lot of marine armies, I, I did play um, play four armies that had armor of contempt over the weekend, and I you know really felt the uh, the impact of the negative one AP on the grotesques. Not so much on the incubator. The incubator still kind of killed whatever they hit, and that wasn't a problem. Um, but Yeah, really, I was just trying to get the the grots and the the Incubi sort of into the center of the board somehow, and then basically just using Advance and Charge, go and and trade them for my opponent's pieces, fight over the middle, and I usually had better secondaries because of the way the list is constructed, that if I went even on primary, I could win the game
2: on secondaries. Yeah, that it's, it's actually kind of brings me to my next thought. It seems like a lot of times when you see Jukari armies, or especially Jukari Harlequins, they're oftentimes aggressive, trying to just blitz at your opponent. Your army doesn't seem like it's optimized for just blitzing straight out of your opponent. It's it's more designed to hide and trade, kind of like you described, and basically trade the primaries back and forth instead of just uh, destroying them on primary. And, and but- you're talking
1: about like that turn to blow its power from pain kicks in you're able to to kind of make some explosive movement is that what you're talking about
2: nick yeah absolutely like really like kind of bide your time turn one do some chip damage with those void weavers explode out on turn two is typically how Drakari players play, but even, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're just kind of peace trading here instead of necessarily having an explosive turn. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's very reactive uh, to what my opponent is doing because generally, you know, look a a lot of the the Drakari combat has sort of, you know, gone down in value in terms of how lethal it is, but advance and charge is still one of the best mechanics in the game. Like, it's one of the the best aggressive mechanics that you can apply to a combat army. Uh, So, really, if my opponent's taking the center, then I'm going to Peace trade with them in the center. If my opponent isn't, uh, I've got a few little ways to, you know, put units on the center and, you know, force them to come out to me and then start peace trading with them. Like I, I can just stick the venom on the centre. I don't care if the venom dies. If they want to come out and you know start trying to kill that, like their choices is to give me uh, you know a twelve primary or to kill the venom. They're probably going to have to come kill the venom, right? And at that point, I can start trading with them. So I sort of force them to come to the center, and then I try and fight over the center. Is basically the premise.
2: So a, a big part of making this kind of defensive, reactive trade strategy, which I personally love, that's one of my favorite ways to play forty k. Um, a big part of making that work is having built in secondaries and coming up with all those built into your game plan. I know you mentioned to the last a few times, but what secondaries do you take? in this army and, and how do you why does that work
0: uh, if they don't have good deniers i'll take interrogate with the the shadow seer um I, like i said rod is pretty good when you can get three five man units in out flank for one cp that's uh it's pretty nice um that is a situational but like r- realistically it's heard the prey to the last and then one of the you know the list of either interrogate rod uh banners um like occasionally a kill secondary but i like to not pick kill secondaries because i don't like relying on my opponent letting me kill things uh there are a few lists where yeah, you can kind of just pick a kill, uh, pick a kill secondary because of the way your opponent's list are constructed um but usually it's yeah to the last um heard the prey and rod or mental interrogation
2: it's interesting when you take uh something like r&d do you uh do you find you get more than an eight on that often
0: I'll, I'll pick it if I don't have anything else that's going to give me more than an eight. Um, it's pretty easy to get a, a twelve with high tech switches in a Venom. To be completely fair, like they come out of the Venom thirteen inches, you can get pretty deep.
2: That's true. If you're just going to walk across the table like that, yeah. And they have the Cultist Strife Strats, right, to base through models and terrain. Uh,
0: you actually don't have Cultist Strife Stratagems because it's a real space raid, so you don't get. Um, you only get the the fight twice. The, the the Sorry, the Dracari Codex. Counterstrike stratagem, um, but again, I, I never had issues with that. If I ever wanted to force the twelve for rod, I would just put them in the venom, go park the venom somewhere, or deep strike the venom using um, scrubbing jets, and then walk the uh, the witches out thirteen inches from the, the venom and do a rod. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to do. Honestly, it's it's pretty hard to screen out. Um, look. Really good players would stop you from doing it. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of hard to do turn four, turn five sometimes when you're playing this style of game where you're just peace trading with your opponent. A lot of the, the chaffy screen units are gone by turn four.
2: So let me ask you this. I feel like jokari has been hit by the nerf bat two, three, four, five many times <laughs> And uh, it's showing these days, you know, like you said, their lethality isn't there, especially with Space Marines getting Armor of Contempt. Their durability isn't ridiculous, it shouldn't be, but it's not, and it just costs more. So I have found with Jokari that people can actually just get up aggressive on me, And whereas before my army was under-costed and too powerful. I would just kill them for it. Now, it's like I kind of have to move out of the way and use my speed to pick and choose my battles, but I can't just fight them when they come straight at me. Do you find like that's an issue, or does your army box pretty well? Twelve grotesques.
0: Kind of scraps really really well I think Um, the court scraps pretty well everything is kind of durable like uh, well we're not talking Dark Angel Terminators level of durable here right like we're talking you know grotesques the six plus Invon Saver you know we're calling those durable (laughs) kind of annoying durable yeah but everything is kind of durable right like there's I said there's fillet pain there there's fillet pain on the court. Homoxites uh, are an annoying thing to shoot at or to charge you know they're just kind of annoying Venoms have minus one to hit the voids are very annoying to shoot at unless you have really dedicated like the, the right sort of weapons to shoot the void weavers um the whole army is kind of annoying to deal with and combat armies don't really want to get up in my face because I've got the the fight last Archon, on but also I've got a grizzly trophies venom for the incubi with tormentors and I also have shards of light so I have negative four leadership on a unit um, and that's really really annoying. So like, combat armies don't really want to flood the board and rush at me because I can make two things fight last and just sort of dogpile them and um and really beat them up.
2: Uh, that's really subtle. I like that. So a lot of uh, the fight last archon with ancient evil warlord tree is kind of a, a relatively known thing in the competitive world. But a lot of times you can't rely on the incubi making people fight last because it's just a leadership check versus their yeah. leadership, which is like nine. Um, but with grizzly trophies and shards of light, that's some cool. Leadership jink. love my leadership jink and dark out do you ever uh, you ever add some phantasms to go along with that
0: no but I did play this at another event uh before this and I made a void wave run to morale so that was my my favorite thing I could avoid with it a negative that's pretty great yeah <laughs> negative six and one of them ran off the board that was great <laughs> yeah, what a what a dagger!
2: It's a- Imagine if I got the other one too. Combat attrition.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, well, well that's it, right? It, it was uh, it, it would have been pretty funny, but I I killed the you know I killed two and the yeah, the third one ran away. So yeah. it was it was pretty good. But yeah, like having two sources of reliable fights last is actually like it's it's so much more than than one. And obviously that's you know, that's basic math. But when you're planning out your assault phase and you have to worry about potentially two sources of fights last, it actually makes charging the army really hard. Uh, and I think that's a a very good, you know, like again, defensive mechanism there too. I think, um, look, there are probably some shooting armies that kind of just shred it. Uh, and I think in hindsight, it was potentially like a bad medical list. I think that the, the nerfs kind of hurt it a little bit too much. I was, I was playing essentially the same list before, but I just had more stuff and I really felt not having the extra, you know, 120 points worth of stuff in the army. Um, it feels a bit sort of you know a bit a bit a bit slim there, and a bit like it. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't know what the right word is to describe, but it just felt like it wasn't quite you know as uh, as strong a and dominant as I thought it was. Thin on the ground,
1: so. yeah, a bit like that. Which is difficult because it feels like a you know one of the things about when you read off that list is like Draconi list just seem to go on and on and on.
0: Yeah, look, I think when you de- when you deploy it, you realize all of a sudden there's not much stuff there. But at the same time, there's also twelve grotesques, and like that's you know it's sort of a frightening thing for some people to to try and shoot through. And if you play a you know a passive trading game like this, and your opponent kind of gets forced to engage and get the game the same way, like all of a sudden you're on turn four, you're you know. Get it, getting your five plus involved, and things aren't dying. Uh, there, there, there are certain games where if your opponent doesn't do the right things, um, you know, it, it can kind of still roll over the top of you, and that's kind of you know what I was trying to do. I was just trying to trying to trade really slowly for a few turns, and then. Split stuff out and you know hope for a primary swing in the last couple of turns and play secondaries. Um, and I think even without the extra couple of couple of units, sort of,
1: it did that relatively well. I really, Is I that why? Know. I mean, you mentioned not picking secondaries that give your opponent the ability to deny to interact in a way that denies you that. Do, do you find yourself like being real defensive and where do you score the most of your points in in the early parts of the game, late parts of the game, and and how are you arranging that? Uh, it's it's pretty consistent. I, it, it
0: really depends on what you're playing against, right? Like. G- generally, herd the prey is very hard to stop. Like your opponent can can work on it, but again, this sort of game, right? If my opponent wants to be putting units in in table quarters, this is one of the places where the void weavers are really useful because they can just shoot at some you know, some random chaff that gets you know, deep struck into my backfield or something like that without me having to send combat units backwards to go and get them. So herd the prey, I think I've axed in every game. It's it's pretty hard to not get a, a big score with herd. To the last, again, like, these units are very hard to kill. I think I lost the Void Weavers in three games, but every other game I scored, uh, I scored 15 there because the Homoxides and the um, the Court just, like, they hold your backfield objectives. And once it hits turn four, the homoxites have a four-plus Involve. The Court have the, uh, the five-plus invol on turn three. You can actually use those units, you know, past turn three and four respectively because they kind of just don't die. Again, especially if you're in the middle of the board with the rest of your stuff putting pressure on your opponent's army. So like the secondaries like I feel like are pretty you know, consistent. I, I guess you score more at the end of the game because you've you've traded your opponent down and there's opportunities for primary swings later on in the game. Um, but in general, it feels just like I'm kind of just saying I've got three really good secondaries. I'm gonna challenge you to come and try and beat me on primary so you can actually win the game. Yeah,
1: thanks for that the log sites weren't like on everyone's list originally when dracari were, were tearing up the tournament scene well what brought about their popularity you think and, and what niche do they fit and, and fill in the list i think when dracari first came out it was just all about
0: damage it was how many liquefier guns can i get in my list it was you know just damage 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 and obviously with the uh the nerf to uh guns being enhanced by um by dark tech enhancers, obviously that build sort of went away. And then we didn't see Drakari much through the, you know, the Orc and Admech meta. It wasn't, you know, quite as popular. But then when Thick City came back, I think that's sort of when we started seeing it because people were just putting more Covens units in their army and people were taking Artists of Flesh. And so I think that the value of um of minus one damage on one wound models was probably lost on most people until they started playing games with them. And then realized that it actually makes the Feel no Pain you know, far, far more reliable.
2: There's so much two uh, so out there, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was almost by accident, I think, because I, I didn't I didn't appreciate it either until I started playing the, the Talos Kronos list and I realized, oh, actually, minus one damage on the racks does actually matter, surprisingly enough. Um and ever since that I've been putting them in basically every list. They're one of one of my favorite units in the uh in the army.
2: So I've actually never been a big believer of the HIMAC sites. Um I, I know you, Anthony Manilla, one of our other art of coaches, all these guys are using it. What's mm-hmm. the what's the hype about? Well, explain these things to me.
0: So they sit on a backfield objective for three turns. They just hold an objective. They score you five points if they don't die. Um, so I think they're really only good if they're to the last, right? I think that's kind of what makes them, you know,
2: a really really solid unit. So like as a tough unit to kind of sit back through, like a second slith and herbal unit, basically.
0: Yeah, but also they will go and they will scrap with things because they have, um, like th- th- they piece trade okay with other little crappy units, right? Like, you know, they, they'll go trade with like five intercessors. Okay. But they just don't die. They a really annoying to shoot. Like, imagine it gets to turn four, Nick, and you've got, you know, half of your army left. Do you want to shoot a unit of, you know, 10 guys who are maybe T5 with a four plus involved who ignore the first wound they take and then have a five plus full their pain? Like, what do you want to shoot at that? Like what in your army wants to look at that unit and say, Hey, this is a good target for me to shoot when there is all this other stuff that's potentially still alive in the army, nothing feels good
2: shooting into them. Well, so I, I think you raised an interesting point here because I, I totally get where you're coming from. When I look at your army and when I looked at it at first, I was like, all right, this is just a bunch of good stuff. You guard That's what I called it. But now when we've kind of unpacked it a little bit more. I'm seeing it's actually, this like pretty durable, hard to interact with mess. It's grotesque hiding behind walls, guys in a raider hiding behind a wall, void receivers firing, fading, and like racks and solicit, just not shooting that. So and it's trading with you, and it's scoring points at you, so it's very challenging to approach your army. But then I think of like how I would actually get into approaching your army, and if I couldn't just math you off the board because herp-derp I'm playing Tyranids or Tau, and I just damage check you off the battle, which we'll get to in part two, of course, when we cover how you approach these things. Um, if I was playing like a more skill-based army that didn't have direct answers to your stat lines... I would try to hunt out your obsec and steal your primers because you have very little obsec. You have three troops or four troops or something, and yeah, one of them is super hyper durable, but it's also it's the last. So I would go out of my way and shoot this thing over a grotesque unit just because it's so much more valuable.
0: Uh, there's five troop units, Nick. There's the the Harley troops as well, uh,
2: um, yes, which yes, yes. Which, which, which are bad, actually
0: very yeah. very useful. That they they do a lot of cool things too. Um, they're just yeah you know, a- annoying. There's a few strats that are they're good. Fast, uh, they
2: move through stuff, kind of invalid. Use some, do they have they, the weapons for mortal wounds?
0: They, they actually have no weapons. Um, the biggest thing is that they screen and then they fall back when they're charged because they're light. So um, basically they stop like deep strike charges and things like that. Yeah, that is um, nice. Which is, yeah, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, t- totally agree. Like that's obviously, you know, uh, a thing that you can do. I obviously prioritize trying to get them a very safe place to hide for the first couple of turns of the game. Um, there's no indirect fire in the game anymore. I'm not really scared of airburst shooting at me and picking me up. You know, over the course of the game anymore, it's just not really a thing. Especially when you know people who are taking indirect taking a lot less than they were before. The first ignored wound per phase um, obviously goes up in value if there's only one thing that can shoot the unit each turn. So that's you know, uh, I thought like they're pretty safe like that. Um, Actually, yeah. And also, yeah, they're also going to be a good bit behind the rest of the army, right? They're going to be further backfield. So if you're going to get to them, you're kind of again playing into sort of what I want in you're coming out at me and letting me. You know, trade back on you if you're you know, pushing aggressively to try and shoot the cord or shoot the homoxides and get into the backfield.
2: I guess what I was missing, when, when, and you kind of made it clear with how you explained them, is that they're just going to be hiding behind a wall for the first few turns, waiting until you can use, like, potentially the grenade from Animus Vitae or just time to get yourself to battle round four. Get yourself that five up in vault, four up in vault. And then this isn't really going to go away towards the end of the game. Exactly like you said, the scenario you described where half my army's dead, I got stuff to do and these guys show up. I'm going to ignore that.
0: Yeah, it, it just, it never feels good. Every time they walk out from a building, Um, oh, I, 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 reckon, I reckon I'd say probably 33% of the time my opponent just says to me, oh, don't really want to deal with them now or something to that effect. It's like, you, you, I think once you get to that later stage of the game, the unit is actually just, it's not even necessarily that durable. It's just annoying. And having a four plus involved save, it's just annoying. Um, and I, I, I think that most of the time, unless you have dedicated combat or shooting units left, like you just don't do it. Like I, I think in the, in the gray Knight game, my opponent shot a strike squad and a perk squad at them and killed three or something. And it's just like, cool. If you want to waste two units of shooting, when you've got seven units left in your army on turn four to kill three Homoxites, that's, Great, you know, be my guest. Does sound kind of miserable. <laughs> yeah,
2: I like that your army's just general plan is to slow the game down. Like, let's use power from pain to become more powerful by like not really interacting turn one, barely doing stuff turn two. All of a sudden, you know, we score been scoring points the whole time, disrupting your score, and uh, our army is super powered on turn four.
0: Yeah, pre- pretty much the um, the animus vitae is pretty important here, just because it lets you if, if your opponent puts like. You know, even one of my games, my opponent just started putting Dark Angel Terminators in the middle of the board. And I was like, well, I've got to actually go and deal with this, so let's just chuck it and get plus one to hit. Because getting hit on twos on a couple of units of grotesques was you know, pretty important at that point in time, because I had to start trading back in the center, otherwise I was going to fall behind on primary. And really, like my, my, my game plan is almost always just to go even on the primary. Not, not try and win it, just go even on the primary, because essentially i always have better secondaries than my opponent
2: that's i, I love that approach is building in better secondaries i'm going to poke some thoughts at that but before we get into that uh could you just explain the animus vitae and exactly how you use it because it's kind of challenging to use also but a lot of people i'm sure don't even know what it does it's kind of esoteric
0: yeah cool so it's uh, a grenade so you, you can't advance and throw it which is you know pretty uh pretty standard for all grenade weapons but what it does is it hits on a two because your icon is bs2 um, you have a Blackheart heart reroll because you are uh, Kamala the Blackheart. And if it hits, your opponent just takes D3 Mortal Wounds. And until the end of your turn, you get plus one to the power from Pain Chart. So most notably, what this will do is on turn one, if your opponent puts something in the center, you can advance the unit of Grotesques, fly the Venom up, throw the grenade out of the Venom, uh, and then get advanced and Charge on those Grotesques. That's the most notable uh, way to use it. Can you, can um, you throw the
2: grenade moves. if the Venom advances? I didn't know that. That's really uh,
0: good. N- uh, no, you can't throw it if the Venom advances. Oh, just okay. the venom! Moves. But it moves 16, right? I was so, say it's got a pretty big movement. Yeah, yeah, so you have like 22. What you can do though, Nick, and this is, uh, this is very cool, is you can move the Venom, shoot the Venom, fire and fade the Venom, and then shoot the grenade out of the Venom. So you can go 23 oh. and then 29, basically, with the grenade.
2: I actually, I was playing a coaching match with Sieg's, this was maybe months and months ago, it was Jukari versus Admec. and he I had the grenade in the Venom, I had the same trick you did, Matt, and he was like, how far can that thing go? And I was like, 22. And then like a minute later, I was like, wait, technically 29. And he was like, ah, oh, crap. And he moved his whole army back six inches, seven inches. <laughs> and I was like, you jerk.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things where people either don't understand it, or they get really, really scared of it. Um, it's like, Normally, I'll be, like, deploying my army and someone will say to me, oh, wait, do you have the grenade? And I'll say, yeah, and they'll just be, oh, do you mind if I move this? So I'll always say, yeah, i always say it's fine. But, you know, it's one of those things where people, if they know what it does, sometimes get very, very scared of what it can potentially mean. Because, like I said, Advance in Charge is a incredibly powerful mechanic and having access to it on turn one. And, obviously, you have access to it turn one on the Incubi anyway because you're a real space raid with Blackheart, so the Incubi get the, uh, the plus one power from Pain. Um, but having access to it on turn one on like grotesques or even just a trip unit is, um, is pretty cool.
2: Yeah. What it, what uh, it basically allows you to do to put some practicality to it is if you're going second and you're playing like a, a mission where there's objectives in the middle of the board, your opponent can just walk right up to them. And you as a Jukari player, if you're hiding behind terrain, you're probably not at the edge of your deployment zone. You're wherever the terrain will allow so you're not going to hit a charge onto that middle objective without advance and charge or some other speedy mechanics so being able to toss a grenade, get that advance and charge off, all on bottom of turn 1 really gets you momentum back.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely spot on there, I think you've uh, you've sort of hit that nail on the head, a lot of the time, again, because the army is you know, not, uh, I, I say it, it's durable without being durable, right, like it, it needs to hide and, and sort of play on its terms, which means often you're not standing optimally where you want to stand, like Dark Angels Terminators want to walk into the middle, they stand wherever they want to stand and then they move their five inches or they advance and they get to the middle but you kind of can't do that because at any time you know a random squad with bolt guns threatens to come and kill a grotesque or you know two or whatever you know however badly you're on you feel their pains is how badly you're on you feel their pains but having and charge just means you can afford to be safe and afford to sort of hide and when you've got three units as well, you can just roll the advance rolls. Like roll the, the roll the first one, you roll a one, you just don't move the unit. You roll the second one, you fish for the the good advance roll, and then you move with that unit. Yeah, um, and that redundancy is really important too.
2: Yeah, I like that. So and when you deploy this army, um, how are you actually? You're obviously hiding behind terrain, but it's got relatively big footprints. You know, grotesque squads, three Void Weavers, raider uh, solicitor ghouls, hemoxides. How do you prioritize what, what hides, where, what gets to hide and what has to be in the open and then reserves or like, what's your thought process?
0: Yeah. So if my opponent has irrelevant shooting for the void weavers, they can just sit at the back of the board somewhere in the open and cop, you know, a couple of guns. Like people also don't like shooting them when you explain the whole four plus no re-roll thing. Um, they kind of just don't like shooting one stray last cannon at them. Um, I did play Imperial Knights round one. Uh, a single um, D three shot melter gun off, uh, off of a war dog killed two void weavers. That was um, a thing. Uh, so sometimes have no
2: respect for the math. They are just. We'll see what happens.
0: It, yeah, uh, that, that I, I, I just I, I can't fathom the the one thirty inch melter gun killing two void weavers. But hey, it's math apparently. Um, uh, but basically, look, look, I think this is a pretty good principle in general. This is what I tell, tell some of my coaching clients is like, it's kind of an all or nothing thing where if you can't hide everything and your opponent is going to shoot something, you may as well put everything out, let them shoot anything and have an optimal board position. So if, if I've got 12 grotesques, I could only hide uh, six of them or eight of them, right? Uh, and my opponent's going to be able to shoot at four. I'll just put all 12 in the open in a position to walk into the best ruin on the board. I'll just say, you know what? If you're going to shoot four anyway, I'm going to give you the option to shoot more of them. Most people can't shoot through more than four grotesques from across the board, really. Uh, and I'll just put everything in the open and I'll try. If I go first, I'll walk into the ruin. If I go second, I'll lose the same number of models I would have lost anyway, except I'll be in a better board position. Um, so... It depends on what's in my opponent's army. It depends on what their profiles are good at killing. Like if, if they can't kill the court, sometimes the court will deploy on the line and do the same thing and like run into a, a midboard board um, ruin and, you know, try and sort of hang out over there and get a counter charge off later in the game. Objective placement obviously matters a lot too. Uh, but realistically, look, first priority is the void weavers making sure there's nothing that's going to punk them. Like I, I played um, Adam's dark angels in the last round and he had the three storm speeders and, I don't really want them in the open against the you know all the last cannons and rockets and things coming in to shoot them um however like he didn't have very much shooting for the uh for the grotesque so the grotesque sort of bubbled up and you know if they were going to get shot by a few d6 damage shots i wasn't too worried because of where he would have to come to get line of sight to them and that kind of comes back to the whole sort of game plan of getting my opponent to come out and put themselves in front of me uh so that i can counter charge them and sort of fight on my terms so the whole all or nothing thing, I think, is very important. I think, you know, if your opponent can shoot one unit and they're likely to kill it, but they're not likely to overkill it, just put everything in the open and try and get the best board position you possibly can. Uh, that's at least how I feel. I don't know if that's a considered greedy or you know lazy it's, it's but an I, approach. I you
2: know, it's, like I, I, I never play that way. It like, because I always look at it. This is a stylistic thing. Like, if I just put all my stuff out there and I dare my opponent to kill everything, I mean, if they just roll hot or I roll poorly, they do. And, of course, the upside, the flip side is if I roll well, they roll bad, I win. And I have definitely been back against the wall. Let's just see what happens. And I've been the recipient of some fortunate dice. I've been the recipient of some terrible ones. And, uh... I like to have more control in my games of 40K instead of just, you know, spending tons of money flying to a place, getting 5-0, working really hard, and then, oh, he rolled better than me. That sucks. Guess I'm going home now. I
1: I Uh, do like the idea of causing that a little bit of, maybe some confusion, some uh, target, maybe target priority. That's the target confusion I'm talking about, but I think you're exactly right. It's like, why hide this unit to get them five inches off of the objective or, you know, from wherever they could have been and you but you might end up just losing the same amount anyway.
2: Yeah. What's your take on that, Matt?
1: Well, to to clarify, right? Like, if your opponent has shooting to kill twelve grotesques,
0: don't put twelve grotesques in the open. But if they have shooting to kill four, and you can't hide four of them, what I'm saying is you can put all twelve in the open because they're still only going to kill four, right? It yeah. depends a lot on terrain. It depends a lot on where stuff's going. Like, I'm I'm not suggesting that you gamble on going first. Um, but it's more if you can't hide everything, uh, and that's obviously you know the case some of the times like the, the army's trying to hide three void weavers on 60 mil bases, two squads of infantry dudes. Um, you yeah, know, the, the court and the hemoxites, And then like, 12 grotesques and a couple of tanks. Like It's, it's a lot of stuff. Like well, you, let me you call can't this, uh,
2: this little hypothetical a little further down the rabbit hole. Because what you're saying makes perfect sense. But I think we're, I would approach the same problem just differently. So it, let's say the scenarios we're playing against some army, they have some moderate shooting. They can kill about four grotesques on average, maybe five or six, maybe two or three, depending on roles. And You can only hide all of your army except for four grotesques and maybe some other crap you don't care about. You're saying just throw it all out there. They'll kill their four grotesques and you're in a better spot. I'm saying I don't want to even lose my four grotesques, which could turn into like six or seven grotesques if I roll poorly, and then I'm miscalculated and offbeat. Instead, let me spend a CP even, put those grotesques into the webway or something, and then I'll just figure out the game plan from there, taking zero damage turn one. To me, that's a more controlling style, whereas yours is a more risk- prone style but i see the merits obviously you're in a better spot than i am if it pays off which it should any thoughts yeah so
0: but the thing is they do nothing out of the web where they don't make running charges they got no pluses to charge i i understand the thought process but the moment you lose pressure is the moment your opponent actually gets to push it on you like if you're putting these units in in deep strike you'll just have less to fight back with and i i i understand sort of what you're trying to say where you you know, you, you play with one unit on the board or two units on the board instead of all three, and you trade with that unit first, then you deep strike them sort of back behind the same wall. But the problem is that you never get to the center with, you know, a bulk of your army. Like, a, a unit of grotesques is 140 points. It's not that expensive. Um, you know, it's pretty key to the army, but it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, right, it's 30 points more than a squad of incursors. It's not like it's a, a you know, a huge investment in terms of what your army can do. And if they come out to kill that unit, you then get to start trading back on them. And that's kind of uh, what I think I- I- is generally more important. I, I think if you're going to lose the game, if you lose too many grotesques, that's obviously a, a better way to go. Um, I'll definitely do the same thing. If um, you know, I- I- if my win condition is my grotesques staying alive and getting to the center and-, and scrapping. A lot of the time, you don't need all three units. I played lists like this that only had two for a very long time and they sort of did fine. So I'm kind of okay losing one unit if... It doesn't impact the win condition of the game. Um, but I don't like putting units like that in webway and then having no threat when they come out of deep strike, because it feels like I'm playing one unit down and my opponent, if they're savvy, are also going to feel like I'm playing one unit down as well.
2: Um, Honestly, yeah, I, I, you, I think cool. you've sold me. I kind of agree. I definitely see your side to it at the very least that I've lost games with Jukari as a Jukari player because I, have, I know it's, it's, oh. it's possible. No way. Really? I didn't think that was possible. You know, I didn't think so either, but someone's got my number out there. (laughs) Um, No, but when I've lost, I've lost typically because I've I've reserved too much or I played a little too kg because I'm afraid of my army's made of paper. I don't want you to shoot it so that i'm like really far back because that's where the terrain put me or i'm a lot in reserve because i had to and then my opponent just runs in the middle and i can't do something about it quickly and early because a lot of my stuff isn't here yet i'm really i've gone too far into playing for that second half of the game
0: I, i also think that going second is such a huge advantage that if i go first and my opponent gets to kill four grotesques for going first i'm kind of okay with that as well that's um, a good way
2: to look at it too. Like if I'm going second, I'm in the driver's seat, so I can take a 140 point deficit. No problem.
0: The, like I don't really get very much from going first. Like I, I feel like if you build a balanced list to go to like a big tournament and try and win, you need to have game plans for going first or going second. And my game plan for going first is, Hopefully, my Void Weavers will move 20 inches, shoot something and kill it, fire and fade and be safe, and I'll get some compensation for having to go first. But this is me getting board position as my compensation for going first. So, I'm, I'm not saying you do this every game, right? I, I feel like we're fixating a
1: bit here, and I'm like... Uh... Getting oh, a little we're bit in like a
2: rabbit hand. hole. We're yeah. deep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, let me let me bring us back on course here. We've talked about a bunch of units and and all their functionality and and you know basically how everything is a kind of like a symphony on the tabletop working together. But do you have a standout MVP unit?
0: Oh, it's different every game. Like it it, it really is. Like I, I think that you know like the Succubus is still fantastic. Like there were two games where she just runs in and kills. You know expense like really expensive units, and, and massively trades up. Uh, look, the, the grotesques in general, I, I think, are the best thing in the Drakari book. Honestly, I, I think that they're far more durable than they should be. They hit really consistently. Access to the reroll to wound stratagem is premium. Um, like they've they've got two different, you know, I, I guess I was to say modes of fire, but they've modes of punching really with the uh, the flesh cleavers, sorry, the flesh gauntlets and the um and the cleavers. So they've got like two different. Melee profiles, which means they're really versatile. I, I think the Grotesques are probably my favorite, you know, unit in the army. But in terms of, like, an MVP, it, it really, oh, it, it, like, it, it fluctuates. Like, there are different win conditions against everything. I think this is what happens when you play an army for, like, a year straight. Like, I've played almost nothing stuff in for a year now. Um, you know, I, I think when you've played the army this much for so long, you kind of find really cool niche uses for a lot of different things. And you you get a really good understanding of what units can trade with what and what units can survive what amount of shooting. So I, I use different pieces, like different ways against different opponents. And that's really what you sort of, you know, as a, you know, a player who would call themselves like a faction master who's played an army a lot, you know, repeatedly into a lot of different matchups. That's what you should be looking to do. And I think... um like my MVP against Dark Angels is going to be different to my MVP against Grey Knights is going to be different to my MVP against Tower or Tyranids,
1: for example. Uh, but I love grotesques; so they're really cool. Yeah, fair enough. That's a, that's a great answer, and uh, Grotesque are cool. I'll echo that. Uh, now we got a segment we call the uh, Brutal and Cunning, where we talk about it kind of like a crazy combo. I know we mentioned earlier, you know, with the advancing and the grenade and the, and the first round. Maybe that's it. But are there? There is there another? You know, bag of tricks. Is there something that you always want to make sure that you've got some CP reserve for? Uh, that you, that almost I know that your car is situational, but is there something that you feel like is just always going to work out for you, no matter who the opponent is, oh, well, and, and that I'll, is a one uh, or two step combo?
0: I, I love the leadership jank that we spoke about a bit earlier with the um, the incubi and the shadow seer. So the uh, grizzly trophy on the venom for minus two leadership shards of light for minus two leadership, and then fight last with the incubi. That's probably my favorite little. <laughs> You know, I, I guess janky little combo there. Um, I, I look. Uh, that, that, that's probably like the main one. The animus Vita, again, we've already sort of discussed in you know in pretty, you know, in pretty heavy detail over there. Um, but really, it's just like it, it's fight last shenanigans so you can pull off multi charges. Is kind of like the biggest you know. I guess I guess janky thing the army has going on for it, like getting multiple sources of fights last, um, is pretty cool. You ever use There's your obviously... pocket
2: strap for the plus two cover saves? I like that one.
0: Oh, I, I do. <laughs> that that one's pretty cool as well. That's probably worth talking about. Uh, on um, on a lot of our tables, we've got a mixture of ruins, or ruins with and without bases. So half of them, like you can walk right up to the wall and not be seen on, and the other half have bases, so you get a cover save, but you can be like you're visible, you know, in and out of the the ruin. I know it's a bit different to. Some of the, the terrain I've seen over in the U.S., but basically they're all just like big ruins, and half of them have bases, right? So the ones that have got bases, you can sit the court on. The court can get a um, a four plus armor save with the strat, uh, you know, for um, uh, on the slith models, and they can also pop minus one to be shots with lightning fast. So you can spend two CP on the court and basically give them good armor saves. The hamoxites uh, also get the plus one armor save in addition to the. Uh, like the, pl- the plus two instead of plus one cover save. So homoxides can get a four plus armor save doing that as well with a five plus full pain and minus one damage. That's pretty cool too. Um, it's really only good into like AP zero weapons. And that's really the only place that it's, you know, sort of valuable enough because most of the time you're on your read vault anyway, but um, Incubi can do it too. And Incubi can get a really good cover save. So that's a pretty cool little strat. Uh, it happens, I don't know, once a tournament you use it, it's not every game, but, um, it really only matters when your opponent's got sort of the right weapon profiles and you've got the right terrain.
2: It's one of those things, like you said, you don't use it every game, but when you use it, you're like, oh, the value.
0: <laughs> yeah, it feels really good being like, yeah, cool, my Incubo, I have a, a one plus armor save, but also my I could just be behind a wall or in a transport, and you can't fail armor saves if you're not taking armor saves. I, so. I find
2: it's really useful. It's like, once I've committed some Slicer Urgle or some Incubi or something, and then I, I've written them off, I expect them to die, and my opponent like expects them to die very casually, and then I'm like, you know, you should have put more effort over here. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I, I like <laughs> what you just said there, and I want to make sure that doesn't get lost, is that you, you can't fail armor saves if you're not making armor saves.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: Like, it's really cool, and like I, I think some people get caught in the trap of trying to use cool strats because they're cool, but it's like sometimes you just don't need to do it. Sometimes you can just stand behind a wall instead of standing on the wall. And yeah, in that point, you know, your incubator can't die if they're not getting shot at.
2: I wanted That's to uh, just redirect the conversation to what you touched on early in the in the bit, Matt. You said you were going to cut the Void Weavers because the list was designed for them at 270. Then they just jumped to 390. I wonder why that happened. And uh, mm-hmm. you were going to replace it with a Ravager and something else you said. What is going on?
0: So I think the most important Part of what the Void Weavers add to this list is volume of fire. It means that if we're playing a game, Nick, and I've taken Herd the Prey and I have no shooting, and you have the option to walk five dudes on from outflank and stand in the corner of my board, like how do I kill that? Like, how do I kill, like, if we're, if we're playing the Drakari Mirror and you park five racks, you know, oh, on a board corner, how do, how do I go Matt, kill that?
2: I, As a Drakari player, before we had these beautiful things like Harlequins, I literally just stopped taking her to pray if they could throw five dudes on my side. Cause it's not worth me charging out there to do it. Sure. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm yeah, with that's you, what full what agreement, full yeah, agreement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause like in a five objective mission, that's fine. Cause you just play stranglehold instead and you fight for the center. But if you're playing, um, I don't know, like the scouring for example, um, and you've got fair objectives in your corner, like getting them off. One of their home ones is often very, very hard. So, you can't really lose that secondary. So what what I think is if your opponent does that and they've got five guys sitting there, I'm not gonna send five grotesques halfway across the board to go and kill my opponent's five racks or five troop or five space breeds or whatever it might be, and then have them in a suboptimal position. I need a unit that can shoot and kill little things like that. And the void weavers honestly spend more of their time shooting random chaff units than they do shooting, you know, knights and big targets. Um, and because of that, I feel like I could achieve the same thing I get from them, like with just Skyweavers and just having bikes with the Shuriken Cannons. Um, and a big unit you of know, that is like two hundred and forty points. They, what, they're forty-five each, like two
2: seventy. Forty-five 6, before 000. you buy. Uh, well, you wouldn't buy Haywire you, if you buy them as Zephyr, they're fifty.
0: Yeah, you, you want you want them with Shuriken Cannons, and like I feel like that would kind of do the same job, where I've got the same volume of Shuriken Cannon fire. But what it also gives me is a unit that I can cast the. Um, I can't remember what the power is called, but the one where you make the unit untargetable unless it's the closest thing, um, and that helps me keep that to the last safe as well. Uh, and then I add in a Ravager to kind of replace the prison cannons. It's not quite as good, but it's the same number of points overall for those two units as it is for the Void Weavers. And I get, you know, bikes to play to the last with. I get a Ravager that I can just shoot some dark lances with relatively reliably. Um, but the, the volume of fire is the most important part.
1: Yeah, I dig it. Just want to remind everyone: this is uh, part one of a two-part episode. And we're going to bring this one to a close, uh, but you got to join us on the other side of it. We're going to talk about how you, this list goes up and plays into very specific matchups. I get down to the nitty-gritty on how to uh, to basically uh, attack and dominate a tournament.
2: Absolutely! Thanks so much for coming on, Matt. You've been a pleasure to t- to talk to you as always, and your army is super awesome and really cool and right up my alley. I might give it a whirl. Hey, oh, thanks, guys. It's, it's been, been uh, thanks,
0: yeah. It'd been lots of fun just sitting there chatting and talking about, you know, cool Dracari lists.
2: Definitely. We'll catch you in part two.
1: See you, buddy, in a minute.
2: Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive
0: 40K network. War 40 kcom